Good morning again, everyone. Uh, my name is Eric. I want to welcome you to E3, and I want to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Psalm 92. It's right almost smack dab in the middle of the Bible. Uh, this is a standalone Sunday. It's a Sunday that's in between uh, Pathways and, and our Advent series. And I asked Pastor Mark if it would be okay if I talked to you guys a little bit about this thing that we do uh, called worship or this thing that we do called singing together. And I want to explore while we're together this morning just a few thoughts that I've heard and would like to pass on to you this morning. So I want to start with these four verses in Psalm 92. The writer uh, writes this, that it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High, It is good to proclaim your unfailing love in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening, accompanied by the 10-stringed harp or the six-stringed guitar and the melody of the lyre or the keyboard. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. A lot of the Psalms are are full of language like this, thanking God for the things that he's done. And the New Testament carries on some of these themes. Real quick, I'll just read a verse out of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Colossae. He says in chapter 3, verse 16, to teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom God gives, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. I've been doing some form of church music now for around 18 years. I've seen a lot of congregations. I've, I've shared my gift uh, with a variety of different churches around the country. And through my time at other places and my time at E3, I want to start off by saying I think there's roughly two camps of people that come into a, a room like this on a Sunday morning. So the first camp is obviously the folks who are really comfortable singing. You come into this room, and let's not be too creepy about it, but let's be honest. I look at you guys every Sunday. I see you. I know a lot of times it looks like my eyes are closed the whole time. Guess what? I peek. (laughs) So I see the groups of you that come into this room. And I see that you're really comfortable with singing. I see you lift your voice up to God. I see the joy in your face. Sometimes I see the pain on your face. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. Personally, and on behalf of the worship team, and on behalf of the staff, and on behalf of your friends and family that are also in this room. Because sometimes we need your voice. Because the truth of the matter is, sometimes I, or sometimes members of the worship team, or sometimes your friends that are sitting next to you, we come into a room like this, and we might not feel great. We might be ill, or we might be struggling. There might be a Sunday that we feel a little bit more beat up than normal. And we need your voice to sing with us, and sometimes 
for us. So thank you. Thank you for lifting us up when we need it, when we need it. But also I want to say I'm sorry. Because I also know that there are sometimes that you want to sing even more than you we do on a Sunday. Or you want to sing even louder or you might even want to move a little bit more than we're comfortable moving in this room at E3. There are times, I suspect, that you really want to let go and you feel like it would be inappropriate or you might be looked down on or looked strangely at. So I'm, I'm sorry if you've ever felt like that in this room, that you wanted to go further and felt like some person or somebody was limiting you, I say I'm sorry on behalf of everybody up here. But that's not the only camp that comes into this room. The other camp of people that come into this room are folks that, let's just be honest, are not so comfortable singing together. I see your faces too. And first of all, I want to say thank you for being here. Because I know that sometimes behind those faces that seem like you're bored or struggling or disinterested, I also know in my heart that a lot of you would say, it took everything I had to get out of bed and come to this church. Because church is not something I do normally. And exploring God was so important to me that I decided to just sit my butt down in this chair. Now, singing might be another thing altogether. And let's be honest, singing together is a strange thing. You're not going to, most of you, go into your office or classroom tomorrow morning and they're gonna say, hey, hey, Bob, how was your weekend? And you're not gonna say, well, let me tell you, let's sing a song together. Singing is not something that we normally do, and some of you carry that more than others. But thank you for being here because it matters. Even if you don't get the whole church thing, it's important that you're here. And I want to apologize to you because there are probably times where you have felt a little bit picked on or maybe even yelled at not necessarily by me, but maybe somebody else in another church, that you have felt singled out because you're not comfortable with this thing called singing together. And you feel like maybe people haven't recognized the amount of burden that you carry into a room like this. So if you've ever felt that here at E3, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for that. And I hope you will forgive me. Now, uh, singing is just a strange, strange thing. And I want to tell you that um, the way we sing together and, and struggling through what we do on a Sunday morning, uh, there's not a whole lot of help given by the Bible. What I mean by that is that if you were to read the Old Testament, descriptions of worship, descriptions of God's people gathering together, in the Old Testament, you would read stories of very elaborate ceremonies, very elaborate rituals that would take place 
in the temple in Jerusalem. There would be scores and scores of musicians blowing trumpets and banging drums. And maybe that's not too different from what we do on a Sunday morning here. But it would be very much governed by ritual, very much governed by a pageantry. Um, It would be a, a, a rich, rich celebration. But... That is not the only way that we're told to worship. There's never a point in the Bible that God says or Jesus says, this is the formula. Believe it or not, it's not in the Bible that we're supposed to sing three songs before the message. It's just something we happen to do. Now, if you were to go to the New Testament, you would still see uh, glimpses or references to the temple. Jesus goes to the temple multiple times in his life But worship is not centered around the temple in the first century. Part of it is, but already people have begun to gather in smaller gatherings in the Jewish culture called synagogues. And there may or may not have been singing. We don't know how much singing. We don't know how much scripture reading was happening. But worship and gathering together is evolving throughout the Bible. By the time the Apostle Paul is writing to churches, Gatherings of God's people look like 20 to 30 people gathered in a room or a small house. And he says to sing psalms together, sing hymns and spiritual songs, but we don't know what those songs looked like or sounded like in a room. Maybe they were accompanied by some kind of instrument, but probably not. You think you're uncomfortable singing in here. What if you were singing in a room with 20 people with no music whatsoever, and it was just a cappella? So music in the Bible is kind of all over the place. There's a wide open field. And we look to that and we go, man, I wish there was a formula. I wish there was something that we could point to and say, church, we have to worship this way. But there's not. If you were to look at the Psalms, the book of Psalms in the middle of the Bible, maybe you would say, maybe there's help there. Maybe there's instructions on how we should sing there. And there's a little but not as much as you would think. Now, the Psalms are uh, essentially God's prayer book for God's people. 150 prayers that were written out by God's people throughout time. And a lot of these prayers are sung. So some of them have a very song-like quality. And I wanna just explore the different types of Psalms that we would find Scholars have, have, have examined all of the Psalms and they would say you could categorize the Psalms in roughly five to seven different categories. All 150 fit into a bucket or two. And the five that I think are most helpful are praise Psalms. So songs that just talk about how good God is, his character, you know? Songs that, were, songs that would be called royal Psalms. These celebrate the king which is God's anointed, God's Messiah. There are Psalms that you would just read that say, we are so glad the king is a good king. The king should embody justice for God's people. There are Psalms of thanksgiving, just thanking God for what he's done. I was in trouble. I needed your help, God, and you did something. There are Psalms that celebrate the Torah, Psalms Psalms like Psalm 119, God's instruction, God's law. Thank you, for your instruction. Thank you for the law. And then there are lastly, this collection of Psalms called the laments, which are most characterized just by the word help. Help. 
God, I'm sinking. God, I'm drowning. I need you. Now, the laments are really, really uncomfortable for most church people to read because they say things to God that most of us would probably feel uncomfortable saying in a church. They go straight at God. They are raw. God, why won't you act? God, why won't you do this? I thought I might just read glimpses of a couple. You would find huge collections of laments, one after another, and they get depressing. Psalm 69, save me, O God, for the floodwaters are up to my neck. Deeper and deeper I sink into the mire. I can't find a foothold. Have you ever felt like this? I'm in deep water and the floods overwhelm me. I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping, waiting for my God to help me. Those who hate me without cause outnumber the hairs on my head. Many enemies try to destroy me with lies, demanding that I give back what I didn't steal. Psalm 70, please God, rescue me. Come quickly, Lord, and help me. Psalm 71, oh Lord, I have come to you for protection. Don't let me be disgraced. And the one I was reading just this morning, Psalm 77, I cry out to God. Yes, I shout, oh, that God would listen to me. When I was deep in trouble, I searched for the Lord. All night long, I prayed with hands lifted toward heaven, but my soul was not comforted. You know, a lot of times in church, we smooth out those low parts. A lot of times in church, we would rewrite Psalm 77 to say, all night long, I prayed and I felt great. But the laments sometimes say, all night long I prayed, and I was not comforted. Where are you, God? If you were to take a look at all of the Psalms, all 150 of them, and you tallied up the categories you would find that an overwhelming number of psalms fall into two categories, the praise psalm and the lament. A full, roughly 60% uh, of the psalms are collected in praise and lament. Roughly 50 songs in praises, roughly 50 in laments. And laments are uncomfortable. Now, by the way, lament, these lament songs are, are some of the reasons why at E3 we play songs that sometimes seem a little dark, that we, we choose to sing songs that recognize the pain in people, songs that say, I want to sing a song, I'm going to sing a song, even if it hurts, if it hardly comes out, because of those 50 laments. They're important to God, but they're also not very helpful in telling us how to worship because they say things about God that aren't necessarily easy for us to stomach or easy to explain. So the point being, the Bible is wide open into how we sing together and what we sing together. Everything from thank you, Lord, everything from God, you're great, to God, I prayed all night and I'm still not comforted. Why won't you act?
Now, if you took a look and turned your attention to just the history of music, you know, and the, and the idea that people are singing these songs all the way back into the Old Testament times, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, you would, you would come to the conclusion that music has something special about it. That music is somehow transcendent. That God and God's people chose not just to have words that are prayed to him, but to sing them together. Archaeologists have now found that some of the oldest human artifacts are musical instruments. They found things like handmade flutes that are 50,000 years old. So much so that they think that sometimes music predates language. That singing predates, it certainly predates writing. There have been these great explorations of cultures, even as they've discovered them in, in modern times, that have no writing. They have no written record of who they are or where they go, but you know what they do together? They sing. And not just kind of happy-go-lucky songs around the campfire. They sing songs with a purpose. They sing songs that basically are maps for their existence. They use singing to identify who they are, where they go, what they believe, without writing, without any type of written record. Music is a strong, strong, transcendent thing that doesn't always even need a perfect explanation for like why we're singing it. You would almost say that we are hardwired for singing. It goes back so long, so strong. There are some things that happen in our brain. Neuro, uh, neuroscience has shown there are actually chemical reactions in our brain when we hear music that go back way beyond, way deeper than whether I like to sing on a Sunday or whether I don't like to sing on a Sunday, or whether I like this song or don't like this song. Something we identify in music doesn't always just need words. It doesn't always need the perfect uh, literal explanation. And I want to show you a clip that I think is really, really helpful for this. It comes from uh, a movie called The Shawshank Redemption. There's this scene where Tim Robbins' character, a guy named Andy Dufresne, he discovers a collection of records in the warden's office. He's in prison. And he locks the door. And then this scene develops where he actually gets into a whole lot of trouble. But I want you to just watch and listen to what he says about music and the power of it. I think it's worth hearing those words that Morgan Freeman's character said again. I have no idea to this day what those two Italian ladies were singing about. Truth is, I don't want to know. Some things are better left unsaid. I'd like to think they were singing about something so beautiful it can't be expressed in words, but it makes your heart ache because of it. I tell you, those voices soared higher and farther than anyone in a gray place dares to dream. How many of you have ever been in a gray place? It was like some beautiful bird flapped its way into our drab little cage 
and made those walls dissolve away. And for the briefest of moments, every last man at Shawshank felt free. Music doesn't require a literal explanation. There is something in the way that melody combines with rhythm, combines with words and phrasing, that if we listen, something happens. It's not just the written word that God has wired us up for. I know this too because there's also another couple camps of people here at E3. I I like to call you uh, the sloppy wet kiss people and the non-sloppy wet kiss people. Here's what I mean by that. There's a song by a guy named David Crowder called How He Loves. We sing it here quite a bit. There's two recorded versions of the song. One song, uh, the lyric represents that heaven meets earth like an unforeseen kiss. We don't sing that here much. The other recorded version says that heaven meets earth in a sloppy wet kiss. And I hear from different camps of people, they're like, I don't, I'm not comfortable with this sloppy wet kiss thing. I don't get it. And I go, I understand. God bless you. (laughs) Because there's something in the way that that lyric is communicated with that piece of music that gets at the idea that God's love is not this formal, gentle, contained, peck-on-the-cheek type of love, but that God's love for humanity is a sloppy, wet kiss type of love. God's love for humanity is the type of love that a father who sees his son coming down the road, who's been gone for a long time, just starts running. It's it's an ugly, awkward kind of love. But God is that type of God, reckless and uncontained and uncontainable. Music is transcendent, but something has happened to music over time. Around 500 years ago, there was a shift in the way we experienced music together. Up until 500 years ago, music was intensely communal. People singing together. You had experts in music. They would sing in court of kings. They would sing in bars, telling stories. But largely, it was a communal experience. But about 500 years ago, something called the concert began to emerge. Up until 500 years ago, the notion of seeing an expert play and paying for that that you, where you just watched, was foreign. But all of a sudden, opera houses like the Vienna Opera House arose where people would pay money to watch the really good people play music and they would sit and watch. And music stayed like that for a while. Music was still experienced in the home Around, uh, around living rooms, around fires, around pianos. But there was a major, major, major shift in the way music was experienced that changed the music business forever, that destroyed the music business. Anybody know what it is? Anybody? The record player. 
You see, if, if you follow music at all, you, you would have heard the lately, like in the last five, 10 years, the music business is like, the music business is being destroyed, all this MP3, all this downloading music, we can't survive. Actually, the first time the music business went through this was the beginning of the 20th century. 1877, the gramophone is invented. And all of a sudden, music goes from something that is experienced on a piano with sheet music to something that is listened to. Sheet music, sale go, sheet music sales go through the, the, just the basement. And the music business is like, we're being destroyed. Our way of life is being destroyed. Now people don't play music. They don't read the music. They listen to it. And that's the way music stays. Then around the 70s or 80s, another major invention happens, and that is the Sony Walkman. I had one. Looked kind of like that. So now, all of a sudden, instead of experiencing music in a living room, some kind of stereo system, you start seeing people with these headphones walking around all the time. So music becomes something that is being consumed by yourself. And that goes on. It's, the, the, walk, the Walkman is really just a precursor to the iPod. I mean, it, it, they're really the same thing. It's a way to experience music by yourself until the way music is experienced now is through headphones. And now you've got things like uh, Pandora and iTunes Radio that create customized radio stations for you that are based on your preferences so that you don't ever have to hear any music that you don't like. You only hear the music that you do like. And music becomes increasingly private and individual. So roughly speaking, if you looked at the evolution of music from prehistory to now, is basically it's a movement from community to isolation. That we used to sing together all of the time. We sang to tell each other who we were. We sang to tell each other where to go. We sang to tell each other stories. And we listened and we experienced but over time, we've got the headphones on and we no longer sing together. But perhaps the thought is this. Perhaps it's not so much that we're bad at singing together. It's simply that we've just forgotten how to. Perhaps when we walk into a place like this and we think, I am not a singer. I'm uncomfortable singing. Maybe there's not really two camps of people. Maybe it's just that some of us have just forgotten how and what it's like to sing together. So I want to I give an example of how we view our time together on Sunday. Um, we prepare music every Sunday with the goal, with the goal of you meeting with God. It's my goal every week. My goal is not to, to play great music. It is not to, to, to play something that challenges me music. It is so that we can meet with God. That is my purpose. That's our purpose. So, you ready? Everybody ready? All right. I just want to show you something. Go ahead, Cody. Joe. 
Walter. Sam. Whoa. Okay, Cody, when he started playing, he kept playing the same thing the whole time. What he played never changed. When Joe started playing, roughly speaking, when he started playing, he played the same thing. When Walter started playing, he played the same thing. The song was always the same. They changed nothing in their parts, right? But when was the song complete? The song was not complete until Sam started playing. And in the same way, our songs are not complete until you are singing. We don't change what we do, but there is an incomplete part of our experience without your voices. And it's so, so necessary. It's not just so that I can feel good about myself. It's not so that I can check off my box. Hey, people sang this Sunday. It's good. It's a good week. It's because we believe that we need this. That we need this thing together. That we need to lift our voices together. I would call it, I would say it simply this way, that we do this because we need to reorient ourselves around something more every Sunday. That when we come in, We reorient ourselves, not just as a headphone isolated people, but as a community around something eternal, around each other, the singers and the non-singers, the people who are suffering and the people who are soaring, singing together as a community. We need this. Do you need it? There's something that I like to call, uh, a mode of spirituality that I like to call outside-in spirituality. And what I mean by that is that I think a lot of us live our lives from the inside out spiritually. And what I mean by that is that we might read something, we might think a thought, and that affects the way we live our lives spiritually. We may think a thought about God, think a thought about love, think a thought about God's people, and we go, oh man, I have to change my behavior now. I have to reconsider something I've done or I need to do. Over my years, I have found that there's something called outside-in spirituality that we desperately need as a people. And what that means is that Get the fact that we are not isolated 
between body, mind, soul, heart, spirit. We are one. The spirit affects the body. The body affects the soul. The soul affects the heart. We are not as good at compartmentalizing our lives as what we think. So sometimes when you don't feel like singing, you know what you need to do? Sing. Sometimes the thing that can change the part of your soul that is locked up and dying and suffering, sometimes, not always, sometimes, that part can be released by opening your mouth and just letting go. And this is not just Eric theorizing. This is truth. Biologically speaking, spiritually speaking, we are one entity. That's even why sometimes we, uh, we, we sing songs, and if they're really high, I know guys probably like, you hate it when, when I sing songs that are really, really high, because you're like, man, I, I, I can't, uh, I can't get, uh. But when you reach for those notes, you have to breathe more oxygen, which the last time I checked is a really good thing to do. Even simply singing higher changes your physiology, lets God work in you in unexpected ways. We're not merely people who live from the inside out. Sometimes we need to be people who are from the outside in. So sing. Sing because you need it. Sing because we need it. There's a culture out there that says, like we just saw with the headphones, that says that life is all about going your own way. That life is about finding your own voice, be your own person, be all that you can be. All of these are great thoughts, but I would suggest to you that they're not all God's thoughts. That God says, give your voice to a community. Submit and be a part of a collective experience. It's not all individualism. God's people is a collective. So sometimes, and this is the way I would just basically say it in summary, sometimes singing is saying no to the culture. Singing is saying no to individualism, selfishness, narcissism. Singing is saying no to the thought that I am the captain of my own ship. Singing is saying I will be a part of coming into a room like this and giving my voice to those who are suffering, to lifting my voice when I need to lift my voice and I don't want to. Singing is saying no to the lie that says this life is all that there is. Singing is saying, there is something more, and I want to be a part of it.